Amen. Amen. <clears throat> it's kind of a funny thing, thinking about persecution and all that, but you can't help but smile because they're so cute, right? I mean, it's, it's funny. But, but here's the thing. It's, it's an invitation for us to consider our faith through the backdrop or, or consider our, our faith through the, the kind of the, the invitation of our children leading us in the reading of God's word. So, Evie, thank you very much for your contribution in leading us in worship this morning. And, of course, Evan and Gabriel, Henry and Nathan, Joshua and Isaiah, thanks for roping your dad in with you as well. And, of course, Nora and, and Eliza as well, who, who all helped to lead us in worship. Now, what I hope we understand is that worshiping God, our faith, the, the faith of following Jesus, is a family affair. I mean, there's language about it in the Bible, about us being the body of Christ, the the children of God, the family of God, right? But, but even specifically, it's an invitation for us to consider how we practice our faith. And, and these kids remind us of this fact, right? I mean, we, we are reminded that it's not a matter of children uh, being a distraction to our worship because they're not. They're an invitation for us to consider the faith that we're being invited into, Right? And young people, those who have a few more miles on their life, are, are not out of touch with the next generation. They're people that we can learn from and grow from and be mentored by, even just by observing them in, their space of, in the space of worship. Right? We, we have to understand that the Christian faith is a, is a family affair. We, we need each other. And specifically, we need each other for the encouragement that's necessary as we face difficulties in this world. I think all too often, when we face pain and difficulty in this world, we, we interpret it as if something is wrong. You have a headache, take some Tylenol, right? A stomach ache, take some Tums. You get a cold response from someone, oh, let's, let's just kind of veer away from them. Let's just keep our distance and let time settle the, the conflict between us. Right? But pain and difficulty, the, the, the challenges we face in this world, they're not always a bad thing. In fact, quite the opposite, the pain and the challenge that we face may be an indication that we're doing things correctly, that we're doing things right, that things are going the way God intends them to go. Lately, I've been talking with my older son about this idea of good pain and bad pain, right? When we go through some difficulties, sometimes it's good because it leads us to where we want to be. And there are certainly examples of pain and difficulty in your life that, you know, that's not such a good thing. You know, twisting your ankle, bad pain. Muscle pain from working out, good pain, right? Accidentally doing something embarrassing in school, bad pain. Having a hard conversation with a friend or a loved one to, to address the conflict between you, to, to resolve conflict between you, that's a good pain. But none of us, yeah, that's right, it's okay, right? Kids, kids add to our worship, it's all right. Evie, sorry, I'm not disagreeing with the parents, but Evie, what'd you say? Go ahead. Yep, getting a splinter out. That's a bad pain, but it's a good outcome. Oh, no, it's a good pain, right, because you, you went through getting it out. I just, I just made the biggest mistake, by the way. Never contradict a parent's handling of their own children or, or interaction with their children, so sorry about that. But, see, kids add to our worship. They're not, they're not a distraction for us. So here's the thing. 
As we think about pain, good pain, bad pain, there's an invitation from Jesus for us to consider that not every kind of pain in this world is a bad kind of pain. See, Jesus doesn't say to his followers, if you face trouble in this world, no, he doesn't, he says, in this world you will face trouble. In fact, he's, so he's saying, when you face trouble, he recognizes that his followers will face trouble and difficulties in this world. For the last eight weeks, we've been exploring this character of Christ that the Jesus has been reminding us of, teaching us of, of how he has called us to be transformed through the renewing of our minds. That our lives as, as an act of worship are lives of transformation as we wait upon Jesus' return. And this picture that he gives us in the Beatitudes is a picture of maturity in following Christ. If you've ever wondered what a Christian genuinely looks like, read Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Read those verses that the kids read for us this morning. A Christian is someone who doesn't think too highly of themselves, but recognizes how great their need is for Jesus. Recognizes that sin is not some, uh, you know, some idea out there, some abstract idea, but it's, it's definitive and it's within us. Evil runs through the heart of every man, woman, and child. A follower of Jesus mourns over this sin. A Christian is humble. He's meek. He recognizes, he or she recognizes that, that, that we are weak without Jesus. That, that what we're called to accomplish in this world and to pursue our mission as followers of Jesus cannot be accomplished in our own strength or in our own power, but instead requires us to acknowledge the limitations we have and the power that we also have through Jesus Christ. Now, followers of Christ have a deep hunger and thirst for God's reign, not our own reign, not, not for us to have authority over our own lives, but desire Jesus' reign and rule in our lives, for him to, to have authority over our own lives, to direct the, the direction of our lives, to control the, the path that we walk down. Christians are known for being merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. That's what the Bible says we're, we're called to be. And today we're going to close out this series on Jesus' kingdom manifesto by, by considering that followers of Jesus don't, av- don't avoid pain and persecution. So I think, especially in our day and age, it's easy as Christians to feel like everyone's picking on us, right? But have you ever thought to really slow down and think about why does it feel like everyone's picking on you? To, to really evaluate, are people really picking on me? In the second century, there was a woman by the name of Perpetua. I think I'm saying her name correctly, but I don't know. She was arrested in North Africa, and she was attending a class that was preparing new believers for baptism. So there was a handful of them that were arrested and thrown in jail. See, the situation was that the Roman emperor at the time, he, he, he didn't look too kindly on Christianity. He, he affirmed this idea of emperor worship. He, he affirmed this idea that the people of his kingdom would, uh, would, would make sacrifices to him, the emperor. It was, it was like a divine god in his own eyes. And so the people should see him that way as well. And so Christianity was a religion that, that said there's only one god. We're not going to make idols in the shape of any other god. We're going to worship this one God. And so, in his mind, Christianity was an obstacle to him creating the kingdom he had in mind for 
the Romans. And so he arrests this class of new believers, and he, he puts them in, in, in prison, and he, he puts them on trial. Well, this one woman, uh, Perpetua, uh, she, she's a new mom as well. She has a, a newborn, an infant, that she's nursing. And so uh, her father would bring her child to the prison, and she would be allowed to nurse the child. And the father has this conversation with Perpetua. He's not a believer. And so he doesn't understand what she's doing. And he's begging her to recant her faith, to, to affirm this idea of emperor worship, to, to worship the emperor, and to, to, to get herself out of prison, basically. But not just for her own health, but because he's afraid that, that how this will reflect on him as her father. And so he, he has this conversation with her in prison. He's begging her, hey, just, just recant your faith. What's interesting to me about this conversation that she has in, in prison is her response to her father's begging and pleading. She says to her father, Dad, do you see that, that vase over there? Could it be called by any other name than what it is? Can, can that vase be a baseball? Can, can it be a spear? No, it, it can't be anything other than what it is. So her father thinks about it for a moment and, and you know, kind of exasperates, says, no, it, it can't, right? So Perpetua then tells her father this. She says, well, neither can I be called by anything other than what I am, a Christian. We're going to get into what that means today. But her identity in Jesus was more important to who she was than getting off the hook for uh, what this Roman emperor wanted to do with her. The history tells us that she continued to hold to her faith. I won't get into too many of the, the gory details, but she and this group were then led into a Roman arena where gladiators and wild animals were waiting for them, and they were put to death. See, in today's world, we may not find ourselves facing down some wild animals in a Roman arena, but we do consider that persecution is a real thing today as it was then. It probably looks a little bit different in our part of the world than in other parts of the world, but it still happens. And what we need to understand this morning is that physical persecution is not the only kind of persecution there is. Luke picks this up in, in his gospel, and, and Jesus alludes to this in the verses following uh, verse 10 in our passage. But, but there are such things as false accusations being ridiculed, hated, excluded from certain scenarios because of our faith. Persecution is a real thing. And Jesus tells us that we should expect persecution. We should expect persecution in this world, that, that not everything is going to go the way we plan. Being a Christian does not mean that as you put your faith in Jesus, he heals us of our past and then smooths the path out in front of us so life is hunky-dory, uh, hunky right? We should come to expect that persecution is a reality in this world, but not just any kind of persecution. And I think this is where we as Christians struggle to notice the difference between what we perceive as persecution in this world and the persecution that Jesus talks about here in Matthew chapter 5. See, what we should expect is persecution for righteousness' sake. Now, as I mentioned, many Christians that we uh, feel that we live in a culture that's hostile towards Christianity— 
In, in our day and age, I get the sense that, that many followers of Jesus feel that we're being persecuted when, when prayer was taken out of the schools or when the Ten Commandments were taken off the wall uh, of the, 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 the courthouses. When legislative rulings are made that conflict with our Christian beliefs, it seems to raise concerns uh, of persecution. Please understand something. The world as a whole has never been receptive to Christianity. It's never said that Christianity is the way that we are to build our society. But a world that's becoming increasingly, or becoming less receptive to Christian beliefs and ideals is not persecution. Now, it may be a contradiction of the religious liberties that our nation was founded on. And just as valid to be concerned and upset about those things. But it's not the persecution as Jesus speaks of here in Matthew chapter 5. See, what Jesus is talking about is not being persecuted for what you believe, but being persecuted for the faith that you embody. In other words, people make an observation about your life. They see the way you're living, and it evokes within them an anger, a jealousy, a hatred, that the faith that you are embodying, the faith of the Bible, the, the, the life of Jesus that you embody actually causes some sort of negative reaction within the people around you that causes them to treat you poorly. Matthew 5.10, Jesus told his disciples, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you're doing a good job when you find yourself being persecuted because you're living like Jesus. Do you notice the difference? Persecution for righteousness sake is not an attack on traditional American or Christian values. Persecution for righteousness sake is being pursued and afflicted because of the beliefs that you live your life by. Friedrich Nietzsche, who first coined the phrase, God is dead, was a persecutor of Christians. He persecuted the church. He hated the values and, and, and the, the spiritual economy of Christianity. Why? Because his worldview told him that we as individuals have the right to, to, to celebrate our individual pr- uh, power and, and prosperity. That there's such a thing as survival of the fittest. It doesn't matter how we care for those around us. The self is the only thing that matters. That nothing outside our physical reality has any uh, bearing on, re- on truth and reality. There is no eternal life. There's nothing beyond this life. And so live the life for yourself. Don't care about other people. And Christianity walks in complete opposition to this. And so when Nietzsche is trying to celebrate his ideals, his worldview, when he's propagating this view, he wrestles with coming face-to-face with Christianity at every turn. And so what's his response? He hates Christianity. He actually once wrote, I condemn Christianity. The Christian church has left nothing untouched by its depravity. It's funny. He sees Christian values, Christian beliefs, the, the way of following Jesus as being depraved. Right? It has made every value a disvalue. Nietzsche committed his life. He committed his writings. He committed his teachings to to reviling Christians and uttering all kinds of evil falsely against Jesus' followers. 
And not just any of the followers, but those who exhibited the life of Christ, who humbled themselves, who, who, who lived the self-sacrificing lifestyle. So if you're getting picked on, if you're getting singled out, if you're getting mocked because you're gracious and merciful, if you're getting made fun of or, or hated because you're forgiving and compassionate, if you're getting persecuted because you're embodying the divine love of Jesus toward others, then guess what? You're doing something right. This is a good kind of pain. I mean, no one really enjoys pain, but it's a good kind of pain because it says, you know what? You've got it right. You're, you're being acknowledged because you are living a life that is contradictory, that is countercultural to the values of this world. If I could rewrite verse 10 in the Beatitudes, it would be Jesus giving us a high five and saying, good on you, mate, right? You're being persecuted for the right things. There's a, a quote that I came across online this week. I was actually talking with uh, some of the worship leaders this morning about this. It, it, I can't tell you much about the context or where it came from. I, I, I pulled it off of someone's um, social media feed, Mariah Lee. But, but she said this, and, and here's the thing. I was struck by it because I kind of agree with it. Not, not kind of, I agree with it. And this isn't, like too, like, this isn't for every follower of Christ. But when we think about persecution in our world, I sometimes think that we see it through, through the idea that we're being persecuted for loving Jesus. Listen to what they said. Uh, Mariah Lee says, Christians aren't being persecuted for loving Jesus. They're being held accountable for not acting like him. See, when, when people look at the church in our day and age, I, I think they wrestle with Christianity. There is, there is, there is a, uh, a fundamental offense by unbelievers toward Christianity. And I'm not sure that they've got it wrong. Right? We should be known as those who are gracious, compassionate, those who are pursuing the front lines of justice. Uh, of caring for those who are, who are poor and in need, who are without. We should be the ones who are, who, who are standing in the gap for those who have been treated poorly or unfairly in this world. We should be the ones that are, that are exhibiting the love of God through Jesus Christ. And, and I'm not sure we always do. In fact, whether they're right or wrong, I think that the world looks at Christians and, and is more concerned with us not actually walking out our faith the way they perceive followers of Jesus should be. Now, there's a whole number of issues with this, right? There is the world's perception of what a Christian should be, and then there's what the Bible tells us a Christian should be. Now, I could take that comment and say, well, they just don't get it. They don't know what a Christian is supposed to be. But if I read that comment and, and think about it a little bit, if I hold my life up against the word of God, against Jesus' instructions, his, his invitation to live a transformative life as his follower, to, to become meek and poor in spirit, to, to, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, I'd say, well, you know what? I'm not, I'm not sure that this woman is wrong, that, that I, could, I, I could be better at living more like Jesus. So world, hold me accountable. Hold me accountable so that you no longer have the, the right to say that I'm not, not living like Jesus. See what this author, the author of this quote did? 
See, in other words, the, the persecution you feel is not necessarily persecution. It, it's accountability. See, we could do a lot better in living like Jesus rather than being worried about our religious liberties being challenged. Right? I, I get it. As a church, we are concerned about our religious liberties. Right? That's, that's the foundation of our nation. But Jesus' point here in the Sermon on the Mount is your citizenship in the kingdom of God is more valuable and important than your citizenship as Americans. And so if that's true, then we can be committed to living more like Jesus, investing energy there, more energy there, than being focused on our concern, our worry about how our nation as a whole is not receptive to not just Christianity, but even religion in general. See, our testimony about God's love is a lot stronger if we're living out and embodying the grace and the forgiveness that we, that we, worship, that, that we, we praise God for and thank him for and glorify on Sunday mornings. Church, what I hope we glean from the Beatitudes is that Christianity, it's not a spectator sport. It's not standing on the sidelines cheering for Jesus. We're called to be followers of Jesus and not just fans of Jesus. Jesus calls us to take up our cross, to get in the game, to follow him. Now, I realize this may not, or maybe this is way too obvious, but a Roman cross is not a pleasant thing. It's a tool of, uh, of suffering. It's a tool of death. It's not one of those big foam fingers that fans wave in the stands as their team plays on the field. It's literally two beams of wood that are bound together so that you can hang a person on the cross and they would die. See, Jesus' point was, was not to encourage people to find the quickest way to get hurt and die. He's not saying, hey, hey, take up your cross because we're all going to die tomorrow. No, that's not what Jesus is saying by any mean. His point was to say, it's time to get in the game. Don't sit, sit there and say, you believe this thing. Get your hands and your feet in the game. The game is life, and righteousness is the points put on the board. And each time that we are growing in righteousness, each time that we're exhibiting, not through our actions, but because of what Jesus is doing to transform our lives from the inside out, each time that righteousness becomes more and more visible to this world, Satan at work in this world and at work in those who are in opposition to Jesus kind of gets riled up. There's this anger that, that wells up inside of him. Persecution, because of righteousness, is a good kind of pain. Because it means that we're growing. That we're living more and more like Jesus. And that the, the prince of this world, Satan, is not pleased with that. He wants to discourage the people of God. He wants to distract us. He wants to steal what we have. But in following Jesus and becoming more like him, Jesus gives us life, abundant life but it's going to take some good kind of pain to get there. Persecution because of righteousness is not persecution because of good behavior. Right? It's not, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to act like a Christian, even though it's not, not really true in my heart. That's just being a goody-goody, right? Jesus isn't talking about people hating on the goody-goody. You guys remember the show Leave it to Beaver? There was this one character, Eddie Haskell. He was, man, he was good 
at seeming like a good kid. He was, he was like the, the poster child for this like insincere flattery, right? I mean, I, he, he knew all the right things to say and do when people were looking. But when people weren't looking, it was a different story, right? See, I think oftentimes when we hear righteousness, we think of people who live rightly on the outside of their lives, but on the inside of their lives, it's a different story. What Jesus is talking about is being persecuted because people literally see Jesus in you. They literally see the love of God. They literally see the, 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 the compassion and mercy of God, the forgiveness of God in your life as you live out your life before others. In Matthew 5.11, Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on, on my account. Right? Other translations say, for my sake or on account of me. What we need to understand, church, what we need to understand and grasp is that the right kind of persecution, the good kind of pain that we're talking about here, is the result of the righteousness of Jesus in our lives. It's the persecution that comes to us because the life of Jesus has become so evident to the world around us. Again, righteousness is not always doing what is good. It's a matter of becoming the good that God created us to be. God created us. He looked on us and said it is good. It's not just good behavior. It's becoming what God intended us to be. The Bible tells us that righteousness is not living like the Eddie Haskells, pretending to be righteous with our outward lives, knowing all the right things to say and do when someone else is looking. Righteousness is embodying the character of God, his holiness, his steadfast love and faithfulness. And this righteousness is a gift from God. It's not something we cultivate by trying and, 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 and earning it. It's not a matter of me going to the gym and, and, and doing enough crunches that I've got this six-pack abs, right? That will happen when Jesus returns. <laughs> it's a matter of receiving this gift of righteousness. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Righteousness is a gift that God has packaged up and handed to us and said, here, take, receive, put this on. It's not something you've got to try better at. It's not something you have to exercise for. It's not something you have to discipline your body for. Discipline has a place within the Christian life. It absolutely does. But righteousness is something that we receive and we are clothed in. And when we embrace that, when we live into that life that God offers us, when the world around us sees that righteousness that we put on in the life of Jesus by faith, the world sees something that they either love and are drawn to or that they're jealous of and angered toward. And if they persecute you because they see Jesus in you, church, well done. Good pain, right? We become righteous as we trust in and follow Jesus. And this is, this is what those who oppose God respond so negatively to. 
Brothers and sisters, facing persecution for following Jesus means that we're doing something right. Now, I don't wish pain or persecution on anybody. But if we're going to be persecuted, I hope it's for the right reasons. I I, I hope it's because we're outdoing one another and showing love. I, I hope it's because we're a community of grace, compassion, forgiveness. I hope it's because we're a community that doesn't let the world define what justice is, but we're at the forefront showing the world what God's justice is, fighting for those in need, helping them to come to understand the the love of God that's available to them through Christ Jesus, the kind of reconciliation that God is bringing about through Jesus. Church, I know it's easy to be discouraged by how our world is becoming increasingly opposed to Christianity. I get it. If we look at the world, if we look at the decisions that are being made, it can be a scary thing because those decisions don't necessarily affirm our faith. But don't worry about what direction our our world is heading in. Don't don't worry about what tomorrow will bring. Tomorrow's going to have enough worries of its own. Don't worry about what persecution may befall us in the future. Jesus says in Matthew 6.34, he tells his disciples, don't be worried about tomorrow for tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. You know what he says instead? He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about the persecution, what may or may not be coming down the pike. We don't know what tomorrow looks like. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek humility. Seek a deeper understanding of of, of sin's grasp on you and and on Jesus' rescue from that grasp. Seek a greater uh, hunger for God's righteousness. Seek God's mercy to become so rooted in your life that you are a more merciful person yourself. Seek the peace of God, not just to reign and rule in your own heart, but to reign and rule in this land. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and don't shy away from a good kind of pain. Don't shy away from that persecution that comes because you are living as one of Jesus' followers. It means you're doing it right. As we close our time in God's word this morning, I'm going to do what we've been doing. I'm going to give us time to just let our hearts and our minds soak in God's word. To to understand that what we're talking about here in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, is an invitation to evaluate. God, am, am 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 I facing persecution in this world because Jesus is so evident in my life? See, as his children, he's making us more humble. He's making us more poor in spirit. He's he's giving us a hunger for his righteousness. He's making us his peacemakers who are merciful and pure in heart. We live in a day and age where the work that's going on, the the pain we feel is the process uh, of our being born into the kingdom. Yes, we're we're born anew through our faith, but, but there's this like, pain of childbirth that we experience in our transformation as we draw closer and closer to God's kingdom for all eternity. God is transforming us. Let that pain be a good kind of pain because the world sees Jesus in us. Where do you notice God working in you? Where do you notice him making you more and more into a citizen of his kingdom? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 